Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how to parent a child with moral OCD or scrupulosity OCD or religious OCD type of themes. And your child might be dealing with some moral OCD issues, intrusive thoughts that you may not even be aware of. And so if your child has OCD, this could be a really good episode for you to listen to in general, because this pops up with a lot of intrusive thoughts, a lot of parenting issues that are above and beyond what we have to think about as typical parents get really impacted, especially when we're dealing with things that have to do with moral or scrupulosity type of intrusive thoughts. And so today I want to talk about a whole bunch of things that I'm noticing with my kids and the kids I've worked with in my practice that bubble up, that make parenting extra hard. And I want to talk to you about how to navigate through those minefields so that it's not as bumpy or explosive. But before I get started, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. The link is also in the show notes. I also want to mention that the AT Parenting community is open just until this Friday. And so if you're listening to this in real time, the AT Parenting community opens its doors a few times a year. That's my membership community. And it is open starting November 21st, 2022, for those of you that are way in the future. And it will close on Friday, the 25th. We normally close on Thursday when we open, but it's Thanksgiving. So we're closing on Black Friday. Who knows if that's a good idea or not. But an extra day to sign up because of the holidays. And so if you have been meaning to join our membership community, now is the time because we close the doors and then I focus back on members. And just as a refresher for those of you that don't listen to me often or are new to my podcast, my AT Parenting community is different than my online school. So my online school is atparentingsurvivalschool.com and I have online courses. And AT Parenting community is something totally separate and it's not my free public Facebook group. It is a membership community where they get access to about, I think over $300 worth of my classes for my courses. But I also go in there and I teach once a week. We have Zoom calls for the parents and for the kids and for the teens. We have a whole bunch of stuff. We have a member-only website with all these videos, worksheets, and resources. And I am there on tap to support parents. We have a forum on our member-only website And it is password protected and people can go in there and ask me questions and I can support you directly. So if you are interested in learning more or joining us, you have a few days. And so go to atparentingcommunity.com and check that out. Okay, so let's jump into it with moral OCD. So just to start this conversation, a brief description of moral OCD. And we don't want to get stuck in subtypes of OCD to the point where we have blinders on and we label our kids as having just symmetry OCD, or they have just moral OCD. 
because OCD is OCD and it will show up in many different ways, it's convenient and helpful to have categories so that if somebody says to me, oh yeah, my child has moral OCD, then I'll know some of the themes or flavors of their intrusive thoughts. I know kind of what their core fear will be in general, not the core core fear, because the core fear around moral type of OCD themes is the fear of being a bad person. And what that means to each child is different. And so you could have a child who's worried about being a bad person because they don't want to go to hell and they're worried about upsetting God and there's a a religious flavor to it. You can have people with moral OCD without the religious bent at all, and they're worried about being a a bad person, and it could be because they're worried they're going to be alone, or they're just going to disappoint their family or their friends, or they're going to be in prison and they're going to be locked up. And those are really different types of core fears. But the thing behind it that's driving all of it is a fear of being a bad person. And every person and family and kid defines being bad, quote unquote, differently. And so what shows up for one family and one child will be completely different for the other. And so that's why no matter what subtype or theme your child is having with OCD, they still can look vastly different than other kids with similar themes. It's important for you to know so that, you know, you understand your child's individual struggles and core fears. So having said that, a lot of the compulsions around moral OCD is to confess. And that's why it gets missed a lot because it's very ambiguous. And so you can have a child who has intrusive thoughts they're a bad person and their compulsion isn't really obvious because they're not hand washing or doing things that would be overt. They might just be saying to you, mom, I, I thought I was going to call you fat, or I had a thought in my head that said you were fat or confessing about prior behaviors. You know, mom, I think I cheated on my test last year. I think I stole gum out of your purse when I was five, or they might be worried about future behaviors. I have these thoughts. Does that mean that I'm going to be a bad person or does it mean I'm going to be a killer? They normally don't share those as frequently as they share upsetting thoughts that they have about you or their friends or things that they did. I think I gossiped yesterday. Is that bad? And so it, it can muddy the parenting because they're good questions some of the time. And you have to know who you're talking to. Are you talking to your child who wants to have a philosophical discussion about the right and wrong things to do, which is our job, you know, to guide them through those things? Or are you talking to the child, your child's OCD? And it's really not a legitimate question at all. And that gets tricky because I know as my kids grow older, a lot of times when OCD is trying to talk to me, it sounds like like a legitimate question. And my daughter often has existential OCD issues where she wants to talk about our purpose, why we're here, or is this a dream, or the the expansiveness of the universe. And it sounds like just a really deep philosophical question. And sometimes it is, but often it's actually OCD in disguise. And I can tell the way that I can tell, and there's not like a you know perfect way to tell, but one of the ways I can tell is one, I'm looking for patterns. So I notice that this is one of their subtypes or this is one of their themes, but also there's not a satisfaction in my response. There's always a follow-up question and it, it can feel flat. It can feel a little panicky. So if your child's asking you, 
you know, mom, yesterday my friends were talking about our other friend, and I think that I added something or I, I think I laughed. Am I a bad person? And then you give an answer, maybe a typical answer, and then there's a follow up. Yeah, but mom, I think I was actually agreeing with them, right? So it's always like, but there's this extra information that maybe if you knew this extra information, then you'd give them a different answer. And so there's not a not um, a satiation of like I've answered you and now you're satisfied. It's like it continues on. So I'm not going to dive too too deep into moral OCD. I do have a couple of podcasts completely on that, but I think it is one of those missed themes. And so I always like to have, you know, take an opportunity to educate people who are listening to this podcast about moral OCD if they've never heard it before. You can also have intrusive thoughts that you're racist or that you're homophobic or um, that you're gay. Uh, and, And then we can go into like subtypes of subtypes. And so you can have sexual orientation OCD. You can harm OCD where you're afraid you're going to hurt other people. But often the core fear, though, is um, because I'm a bad person or I might be a bad person or I might hurt myself and I don't want to because I'm a bad person. And so it gets a bit complicated. And I think we can overcomplicate things when we put them in tight little boxes. But when we say that the, the overall arching thing is I'm worried I'm a bad person. And so maybe I value not being a racist and now I feel like I am a racist. And it can work the opposite way too, depending on the family values. And that's why it just depends on your family's values. But normally it's the opposite of what you truly believe and you value. It's the opposite of what you value because this can upset parents when they're like, but we're not that way. And yeah, that's why OCD is targeting that. But it can also do it in the flip way too. Whatever the belief is of the family, it can say you're the opposite. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting. So some of the struggles that I see parentally, and I'm just going to kind of go over the categories that I want to touch on today. And then I'm going to go into each one in depth. One is how do you redirect or parent a child who is so worried about being bad? And that's their OCD theme that you can't even, you can't even discipline them because it turns into a whole thing. It's triggering because it's almost validating to the OCD that I'm a bad person. Look, I did this bad thing. So I'm going to talk about that. How do we parent and discipline, redirect our kids when that feeds into their moral OCD issues. The second one is how do we teach them about boundaries and rules? And, you know, if you're religious, you know, religious values without triggering their OCD. And so that can be different for each family as far as what that looks like. And that's different than redirecting. So when we're disciplining, it's like our kids did do something that wasn't a good choice. And then we want to teach them or discipline them, whatever your philosophy is, and that's going to trigger them. The second category, though, is like general boundaries or like life values that we want to teach our kids, but we're worried that OCD is going to glom onto it and make it a thing. So that's the second one. The third one is self-esteem. Moral OCD really attacks the self-esteem. And I did do a whole episode on how anxiety and OCD impact self-esteem. And I did talk about moral OCD. So I wasn't sure if I should, I was actually going to do a whole podcast on moral OCD and self-esteem. And then I thought, well, there's all these other parenting things that come up as well that make it really tricky. And I did do that whole episode on self-esteem. So I'm going to keep it as one category. And that is a hard one because we do have to work on self-esteem with more intention when our kids have moral OCD. We have to do it in a different way so that we are not actually providing reassurance or accommodation for OCD. And so it's a little tricky. I'm going to talk to you about how to do it in an effective way. 
And the last one is how do we handle taboo thoughts that tend to come with moral OCD as our kids get older? We'll dive into what that looks like as well. So that's a lot. (laughs) Uh, Let's go into the first one. So how do we discipline our kids? And, And it's important that we don't pull back from our typical discipline because of moral OCD. Because when we avoid doing a typical behavior because we don't want to trigger OCD in any form, in any subtype, we wind up actually reinforcing the OCD and increasing the behavior. Our kids need to experience typical situations and typical environments so they can acclimate, learn how to handle the discomfort that those things bring. Because your child is going to go out into the world, other adults are going to redirect your child, even if your child is the most well-behaved kid in the world, any redirection with a child who has moral OCD can be perceived as triggering or validating that they're a bad person. And then they're going to get older and they're going to have bosses that are going to redirect them or give them critiques or tweak, you know, their work. And so it's, it's everywhere. They might get pulled over and get a ticket, you know, from a police officer. Is that going to, you know, cause a complete mental breakdown? (laughs) That was a weird example, but I want to be able to discipline my, my children. And I, I want to do it in a way that recognizes the OCD, but also continues to do the thing that I would do in a typical way. So the way that I do that, um, both my younger kids have moral OCD themes. They weren't the front burner issues, but they're coming up more and more as they get older. So, you know, my son who's 13, you know, his main, main issue is ARFID, restrictive food intake disorder, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, and he's got a lot of food issues. But moral OCD is making, um, you know, quite the appearance where it's almost, I would say, 50-50. You know, now it seems like they're equally there. And even my daughter, my youngest daughter, is starting to have more and more moral OCD themes. They're popping up in a less obvious way than my son, and they're popping up in different ways than my son. And so, but the core fear, the core thing there is that I don't want to be a bad person. But like with my daughter, she's worried she's going to ruin special occasions or she's someone else is going to ruin that. And then she's going to be really upset. And that seems like a, maybe a regular thought, but the level of intensity around, I might ruin my birthday or I might ruin Christmas is so intense. It's a moral OCD thing. She's going to do something bad and she's going to ruin that for everybody. And so we've got a lot of vastly different themes, but When you look at what the core fear is, it comes back to, I might be a bad person or I might do bad things. And so I still redirect my kids. And one thing that I say to them, because especially my son, he'll articulate, he'll be like, I feel horrible. I'm such a bad person. I feel so guilty now. I can't shake this out of my head. I'm such a bad person. And he kind of spins. And that's where the self-esteem becomes an issue too. And one thing that I say to both of my kids, and I would recommend that in my practice too, is I respond with, I love you and your job is to mess up and my job is to teach you. Like that's the way this this parent-child thing works. And I know that Squishy, you know, his OCD, we name it. It's important. It's helpful to name it. And especially for self-esteem and moral OCD, it's even more important only if your child's willing to because it really separates them. But I'll say, I know Squishy wants to get into this and make it about him which is helpful that it's externalized, right? Because if I say, you know, your OCD wants to get into it and you want to make it about you, that seems kind of like an attack. But when it's externalized, 
and personified. Now it's not about my child. So I know Squishy wants to come in and make it about him, but I'm still going to parent you. Even though Squishy wants a a piece of this, I'm still going to parent you because it's my job to help you become the best that you can be and grow into this adult that's going to be amazing. And human beings make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes too. Now it can feel a little bit like reassurance. And so we have to be careful because then if our child seeks more reassurance, well, are you sure I'm not a bad person? Because I feel bad because, you know, I ate that candy and I lied to you. I always say with OCD, especially like we don't want to do a round two. So if I've already been there, I've already educated you on something, or I've already provided you with some explanation or reassurance, I'm not going down and doing a second lap with you because now I definitely know that's OCD. And so I would say we've already discussed this and then I'd redirect them. And so that can be really tricky because our kids are going to feel the criticism, the perceived criticism or the redirection in a much more difficult way. You know, they're going to feel that, that, that sting of that redirection or that punishment or that uh, perceived criticism, but that doesn't mean that we don't do it. And yeah, we have to do it in a more careful way with our words. I don't say you're a bad person or, you know, you did something bad. I watch my language a little bit more with my kids because they are so sensitive due to the moral OCD issues, but I'll say that wasn't the best choice. You know, we all make bad choices and, you know, I make bad choices and there are consequences for my bad choices. And so I normalize that a lot, but I'm not going to spend an hour going into that. And I will outright say, I'm still going to discipline you, even though I know you have moral OCD issues. So I think that's an important part too. The second one is about boundaries and rules. And I'll have a lot of parents say, you know, they're teaching something in church and it's one of their core fears, or they're really upset with trying to think of an example, you know, using bad words or sexual stuff. And I really want to teach them about this particular thing. And it's exactly what they have a core fear of in that moment. I do say, and talk to your therapist, because this is just for education purposes, but I have told clients in my practice to pause that. So like if your child is having all these intrusive thoughts around sex, and even five and six-year-olds can have sexual themes that are developmentally appropriate for a five or six-year-old. They might say, oh, I'm worried that I'm staring at people's breasts. And you know that's, that's a moral OCD thing. Or I'm worried that I have a crush on a boy and that's bad. And so you'll see, you'll, or I worry that like, what if I kiss someone by accident? You know, and as they get older, those thoughts get a little, they get more and more detailed and more and more concerning as far as the detail of it and the taboo nature, which we will go into in um, a separate category. And so if your child doesn't need to know something in that moment, you know, if there's religious teachings about going to hell for certain things, or there are teachings that are happening that are exactly what your child is struggling with at that moment. And if you can pause that and teach them at a different time, then I think that would be appropriate. Um, If I had a child who's worried about having a crush on a boy and they're in second grade, and I want to tell them that it's not appropriate for them to date or have crushes on boys in second grade, that really I'm, I'm speaking in a rational way to the OCD and I'm actually going to make it worse because they already have intrusive thoughts about that being taboo and wrong. And so if I move into my typical parenting and say, well, you know, you're too young to date or you're too young to have a crush on people, I'm speaking to OCD like it's rational. And it's not the time to teach a boundary 
or a rule or a religious belief in that realm because it's already a core fear and they're already super worried about it. And so when kids are super worried about it, they're going to avoid it more than ever and they're going to confess things. So when you make things a big deal around certain themes and you really highlight it um, or the church really highlights it and it's really being like hammered into your child, it's not uncommon for moral OCD to then start confessing small things. Mom, I looked at a boy today and I think I thought I liked him at that time. It's going to drive you nuts because you're going to be like, we already talked about that. You're not supposed to do that. You're not allowed to have a boy. Mom, I think I have a boyfriend. I don't know. You know, he said hi to me and I said hi to him. I think I have a boyfriend now. Or you told me not to say a bad word and you keep telling me not to say a bad word, but I think I had the S word in my head. And so sometimes the stricter you are and the more vocal you are in teaching really strict boundaries and rules, the more OCD latches on. So it doesn't mean that you don't have rules or you don't have boundaries, but instead of being proactive and teaching, you know, ahead of time, we don't do this, 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 and this, you become a little bit more reactive because kids with moral OCD tend to be um, more on the straight and narrow than any other kid because they're so worried about getting out of the the lines and they want to stay in the lines and stay exactly where the rules are that they tend to be more preoccupied with breaking them. You know, I've had kids who are worried they're going to give the middle finger. So they walk around with their hands balled up um, or they're worried they're going to say a bad word. And so they avoid words that even sound like those words, like pretty extreme behavior. So when it comes to boundaries and rules, it is better to be very careful with what you're teaching in those moments. It's not a permanent thing. It's just in those moments. All right. When we get back from the break, I want to talk to you about how to build your child's self-esteem when moral OCD is trying to crumble it and a little bit about taboo thoughts and moral OCD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. 
I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realised it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it, so it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. So let's talk about self-esteem. This is a big one. The reason why self-esteem gets a bigger hit when there are moral OCD themes is because it's attacking the core value of the person. I don't want to be a bad person and OCD is telling me I'm a bad person. And so the intrusive thoughts are highlighting everything I'm doing wrong and everything that could be uh, an indication that I'm a bad person. And so unlike another OCD theme, like maybe I have uh, contamination and I'm worried about you know germs and so I'm washing my hands because I don't want to get sick. I mean, yeah, that can hurt my self-esteem. And I spent the whole podcast episode on that when I talked about anxiety and OCD and self-esteem. And if you want to look at that episode, you can always just go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com and scroll all the way to the bottom. I have a search button and you can type in the title that I'm saying. You could type in moral OCD and it will pop up. Actually, that's not true because I didn't, it was, it was called anxiety and OCD and self-esteem. So type in self-esteem and it will pop up. If you ever have a topic on anything, because I've done so many, just put in the basic keyword and it will it will pop up. And so you can check it out that way. But with moral OCD, it's attacking the self-esteem in a more direct way. And so if I have contamination, yeah, I'm worried about germs. And like, so my intrusive thoughts are, is that dirty? Is this dirty? Things like that. And I might have self-esteem issues around, you know, feeling you know, weird or feeling different or having these struggles and no one else does, all that kind of stuff. But the intrusive thought itself is is, is a bit more neutral. With moral OCD, all my intrusive thoughts are attacking who I am as a person. And so it's no wonder that my self-esteem is going to take a very big hit. And then with moral OCD, there's more guilt, there's more self-hate, there's more secondary depression. And so it's really important that we build self-esteem. The hard part is Building self-esteem can be seen as a reassurance or a compulsion. And this is the tricky part that I have with self-esteem with my son and the kids that I worked with in my practice is when a child has an intrusive thought that says, you're a bad person because I think you just lied to your mom or whatever, we don't want to offer reassurance in that moment. We want to identify that as an OCD theme and that OCD is seeking reassurance. And so let me give you an example. If you had a child who said to you, you know, mom, I think I'm a bad person because, you know, I had the S word in my head. In that moment, the compulsion is you giving the reassurance. And so the OCD wants you to say, you're not a bad person. You know, we all have things in our head, but we don't say them out loud. And, and so in that moment, we might say to our kids, if we've already you know, educated them on what moral OCD is and how it seeks to grow through reassurance, we might say, I'm sorry that you know, Squishy's trying to talk to me right now and Squishy's trying to grow, 
but because I love you, I'm not going to answer that question, right? Or I might even teach my child to say, I may or may not be a liar, or I may or may not be da-da-da, right? But this is where it gets a little tricky. Separate from that, kids can have in general a feeling of guilt or being a bad person when it's not really an intrusive thought. It's just an overall issue. And so one thing that I've been working on with my son, who has who really struggles with self-esteem and has moral OCD and other issues, when he's not having intrusive thoughts about moral OCD, we work on his self-esteem. And so if he is really down on himself because he, you know, had a, a homework assignment and he didn't work on it and he chose to play on VR and I didn't realize that he had some homework to do. And the next day he woke up and he was upset. These are real life situations. That's a legitimate thing. Like it really happened. It's not OCD manufacturing it. And he feels bad about it. He probably feels worse because he has the moral OCD flavor going on, but it's a legitimate objective situation that has happened. And now he feels bad about it. And so I can coach him and offer reassurance. Um, And the way that I do that is I'll say, you know, we all mess up and sometimes we have to learn from our mistakes. And so what has this situation taught you? And I like that frame. I like that question because it's not a good or bad. It's just, what did you learn from this? And we can take, and this is what I would say to him, we could take our time and beat ourselves up about these things. And you can let, you know, Squishy get in there and like rev up the moral OCD and be like, I'm a horrible person. I go, but is that really going to help you in this situation? You know, and I try to ask questions so that he can think about them himself. No, it's not going to help. Right. So what can you tell yourself in this situation? What, what lesson did you learn? And getting our kids to connect the dots and see an action that could be related to it can be very helpful. And a lot of times kids with moral OCD want to feel better and they want to do better. There's more motivation actually for them. And so we just have to get them to see that self-compassion is actually a goal as well. And so we talk a lot about that at my house, that part of working on yourself is also learning how to forgive yourself and to be really self-compassionate. And I use these words with my kids, even though they might seem big or cheesy. It's like, I want you to understand what self-compassion is. And so if you always tear yourself down every time you make a mistake or you do something wrong, then you're never going to actually be able to get back up and thrive and get even further. And so it's okay to be disappointed and say, man, I wish I didn't do that. But then you don't want to sit there for too long because then OCD is going to glum, you know, get in there and stick in there. You want to say, what did I learn from this? And every day is a new day. What did I learn from this? And what can I take from this so that it's not a lost experience. So don't be afraid to teach. We still want to parent and teach. And that really does help self-esteem as well, because then kids are able to say, I'm going to do this next time. And I say, you may not, right? It might take you 200 times to realize that you don't like the feeling of doing this, but you just get up and you learn and you learn each time and you learn how to get better and better. You're never going to be perfect because nobody is. Sometimes moral OCD, harm OCD, and perfectionism like to hang out together. They want to be perfect because they don't want to be bad. And so there is a, an element of perfectionism and a, an element of black and white thinking that tends to permeate moral OCD more than some other subtypes. Um, the other thing that I talk about with my son related to self-esteem is his future self. And so I will say things like, 
we were actually talking about this in the car today on the way to school. Wouldn't you want to be a fly on the wall in the car at my house? I feel like we have like these weird talks sometimes in the car. I mean, if they're not yelling and screaming at each other, periodically we have a really good therapy session for the 10 minutes that it takes me to drop them off at school. Not always. It's not always beautiful. But today we were talking and I said, he said, oh, he woke up and he said, well, we were driving. It feels so good to have all my work done. And I said, yeah. And the reason why it feels good is because you learned what it felt like to not feel good when your work is not done. And I said, and your future, uh, Mr. 13, I won't use his name. Your future Mr. 13 is thanking you now because you are future Mr. 13. And so I said, we always want to be kind to ourselves, but we also want to be kind to our future selves. So when we mess up, we want to be compassionate and help ourselves. And we also want to think about how can I help my future self? And so if we're sitting in the present beating ourselves up, how can we help our future self? And I gave him an example. I said, Natasha (laughs) wanted to clean out the pantry. The pantry had been bothering me because it was messy. Once a year, I like get in there and I really organize and I clean it and I throw out everything that's expired. I know it sounds gross, but you know, you get deep into your pantry and it had been bothering me. So I was telling my son, I'm like, it'd been bothering me for a really long time. I was like, oh, the pantry, every time I open the door, it feels just messy and not organized. And I said, okay, future Natasha, we're going to do it this weekend. So you can relax and not worry about it because you have it scheduled mentally in your head. But then future Natasha became present Natasha. And I was like, oh, I'm really tired. I just don't feel like doing it. And I said, but I gave my word. And so I didn't do it on Saturday. And then Sunday came and I was really tired. And I was like, no, but I promised Natasha I was going to do it. And so I did do it. And then the future Natasha woke up this morning and was like, oh my gosh, look how beautiful the pantry is. And so I know this sounds really, really weird, <laughs> but teaching, you know, that we can show self-love and self-compassion by doing things for ourselves, taking care of ourselves, taking care of our work, you know, getting things done. And so instead of you're a good person if you get all your work done and now you're bad because you didn't do all these assignments or you're a good person if you're telling the truth, but now you're bad because you're lying. It's like the natural consequences, you know, when your past self lies, then your future self isn't trusted and that's not fair to your future self, right? And so we have to have self-compassion for who we are from the past when we made mistakes from the present and for our future. So that's just some weird language that you can use with your kids that kind of gets them out of the good versus bad and more into self-compassion. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is taboo thoughts. So it is really important for you to realize that it is in the realm of normal for kids with moral OCD themes to have intrusive thoughts that are highly sexual or what could be perceived as inappropriate or very, very taboo. And the more educated our kids get on these topics, the more taboo their OCD thoughts can be. And that we as parents can make those more taboo or less taboo. So normalizing those kind of things, if we're proactively highlighting things that we don't want our kids to do, we can kind of create more moral OCD, if that makes sense. And so normalizing, yeah, OCD is going to glum onto this. Like OCD, the more you know that you're like, whoa, that's inappropriate or somebody said this, or I saw something like this, the more moral OCD is going to hook onto it. And so kids in general will come across things that are inappropriate to whatever level that might be, depending on their age, who they hang out with and what they're involved in. And they will self-report 
more stuff than the average kid. And so it can seem overwhelming because you're hearing things that other kids are seeing or doing and are not reporting to their parents. And with kids with moral OCD, they tend to over-report things that they are stumbling upon. And a lot of times parents will think that that caused the moral OCD. You know, like there's been trauma related to something that they saw that can be concerning. But often the child already had moral OCD and, you know, scary as it may be, our kids are stumbling across things that are really inappropriate these days because we can't cocoon them. They are exposed to the internet. They can go to school and someone else has a phone. So even if you are tightly locked down at your house, they can go to school. And if you think, well, they go to private school or they go to Christian school, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you're like, no, Natasha, it can happen anywhere. Um, it can be on the bus. You know, kids have mobile devices where they go sleep over at someone else else's house. And we just can't fully control things, is my point. And so kids do come across things. And now kids without moral OCD stumble upon things and go, whoa, that was weird, or that was, you know, different. I have to stay away from that person or whatever. But kids with moral OCD then it becomes part of their OCD. And, and that's unfortunate. So it's important to realize that that is kind of common with moral OCD and that kids also start to shut down and may not talk to you as much about their OCD if they have those taboo thoughts. There's a lot of moral OCD around bodily fluid. And so you see a lot of kids who start to get into puberty and have contamination issues and the contamination issue is actually not about contamination related to germs. It could be related to semen or bodily fluids. And they're not going to always tell you because it's embarrassing. And they're going through developmentally appropriate things that's happening to their body. But then OCD is taking that typical embarrassment or maybe even shame that happens and making it a much bigger deal. And then everything's contaminated. And so as parents, when we're parenting our our kids, we can help normalize things so that kids can feel like they can come to us. And so often it's okay to say, you know, when you have moral OCD or when you have OCD, it will take whatever information you have in your head and it will use it against you, whether it's sexual or it's embarrassing or it's gross. And so you can use those words and that generality to help normalize things, even if you don't know what's what's going on in particular with your kids. Because when you say things like that, they can be thinking, oh, okay, well, I have thoughts like that. And that makes me feel a little bit better. And so when we have really big reactions to an intrusive thought that is sexual or taboo, and taboo could mean, I think I'm, you know, I worry that I'm racist. And then you have this big reaction that says, but we're not a racist family. Or why would you think that we are that big reaction, whether it's sexual or just taboo in your belief system, it fuels the OCD. So dialing it down a notch and saying, that's what OCD does. It takes something that you value or it takes something that you heard that is maybe sexual or disgusting or gross to you. And it makes you believe that that is your belief or that's something that you like or you're into. That's what OCD does. And when you have a matter of fact tone with your kids, you help normalize it and you help take a little bit of that power away from the moral OCD and the stigma that's attached that can actually really impact their self-esteem. So I hope this was helpful. Just a little supercharge on moral OCD. I do have an online school that you can learn more for. And actually, if you join the AT Parenting community, you get access to my class 
how to teach kids to crush OCD. And you actually also get my class. Um, it's a more advanced class. It's a bonus class separate from the OCD class that goes further into how to teach kids to crush moral OCD. It's a bonus class. So it's, I, I hate when I see people buying the moral OCD class and not the main OCD class because I don't teach you how to do ERP in the moral OCD class. It's just a bonus class, but you do get free access to that if you join the AT Parenting community and you get free access to the how to teach kids crush OCD class, which is my main meat and potatoes class. And on top of that, you get to access me and we can talk back and forth in the forums on how to help your child in the best way. And you can join us for our Zoom calls and our Friday classes and all sorts of support that you might need. So don't forget to check out atparentingcommunity.com before um, Friday. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star where you consume your podcast. If you have a few extra seconds, don't forget to write a review. Those really do help. And I always like to read one if I see a new one. And so I want to thank ML Sweeten, who wrote, thankful, extremely helpful for parents with newly diagnosed child with OCD and anxiety. Well, thank you for taking the time for writing the review. And I'm glad that you're finding it helpful. If you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 